Good evening, folks. Coming to you live from the 215 here in Germantown. You are listening to the award-winning InfoHub Hour with Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom Join. And I'm Maleka Fruin. I live here in Germantown with my family. The InfoHub Hour is all about news and engagement in Germantown. Check out what's going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org. Now let's start the show. All this month, we're having conversations about mental and emotional health in our communities because we all know how hard these few years have been. Our next guest is a proud Germantown native. She's a certified life coach and psychotherapist and a dedicated community mental health advocate with 30 years of experience in social service and behavioral health. In addition, she's the professor of psychology at Thomas Jefferson School of Continuing and Professional Studies. Please welcome Sonia Kearney to the InfoHub Hour. Sonia, we're so glad you could be with us today. I am so happy and honored to be here. Thank you. Sonia, we've been talking about how we center mental and emotional health individually and as a community. I'm wondering, how did you enter this field? Um, that's a good question. So I was a television kid um, and I watched a lot of sitcoms back in the day without dating myself, but I'm going to anyway. So there was a show on called The Bob Newhart Show. Um, mm-hmm. There was like several of them, but the first one, he was a psychologist. And I remember watching that show. Um, So speaking of introversion, so I was a shy child. I didn't talk. Um, And if I wanted to diagnose myself, I probably would say I had something called selective mutism. So Mm -hmm. there were times where I didn't talk at all. I was an observer. So there was this show and I remember people would come in and talk and I'm like, I can do that. I'm a good listener. And, And equally people at school were like, you're a great listener. Thank you for helping me. And I'm like, I, I just sat here. I didn't even do anything. So from age six, seven, I kind of knew that this was the path that I wanted to take. So you knew really early on. Talking about listening, we, I, we've been going through all these Germantown Voices narratives, and I was thinking about how listening is such a big part of being a, a great neighbor. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was wondering, um, since you've been in Germantown for quite some time, how uh, listening and, and how your training as a therapist, has that ever helped you in with neighbors or with anything in the neighborhood? Sure. I, I definitely think that it has. I mean, uh, there are times where I'm that nosy neighbor listening at night to the noise outside and trying to figure out, is someone really, does someone really need help or are they playing around or, right? Or times where I'm on my porch talking to neighbors and listening to what they're going through or the person that comes around to help with the lawn, right? Listening to their stories and their journey. So I I definitely think, and again, you said I'm a proud member of Germantown. I'm very proud to live here and to talk and interact and listen to folks around me. Let's talk about Germantown some more and, and the mental health maybe ways that we can center mental health in our particular neighborhood. Do you have any ideas? Ways of centering mental health? Yes. Yeah. So the other interesting thing about Germantown, which 
I want to say a lot of people don't talk about it. We have the largest amount of um, mentally ill and disabled group homes in the city. So there's a lot of people getting services and help and healing, right, in the area anyway. And there's also people that may not have a diagnosis necessarily that may need a certain type of um, healing and centering. So I feel like because of the closeness and the intimacy of Germantown, um, that I think that there's a lot of centering going on and, and surely there could be more. But I feel like folks here are, are sensitive to the special needs and mental health issues with others. What do you think are the, the key things standing in the way of, of mental health here if people aren't able to get services? That is a good question. Um, and I want to say I may not know the answer, um, but definitely resources, um, money, funding um, sometimes get in the way. Um, I want to say since COVID, there may be a little more funds out there tr- for helping folks in communities, but um, I-, I think there's a, and then communication, right? People getting together and talk. There's various organizations. Um, you know, I'm a part of a couple organizations, but then there's other organizations in this neighborhood or the next that we may not even know exists. So coming together as communities and talking about um, the problems, how to heal, how to help. What are some of the organizations that you're talking about? Um, so I'm a part of the Amir Healing Center, mm-hmm. which deals with survivors, uh, family members that have been murdered in the city. Um, I also uh, I have my own practice, Samanya Consulting, um, and, there, and there's just a lot of agencies, group homes in the area um, that sometimes I consult and do trainings for. I have, I, in the beginning of the year, we talked to Asia and to Shante from Amir about solutions in gun violence. And they were definitely talking about uh, being able to just be listened to and uh, and have mental health services centering uh, families that have lost people. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how how your services interact with with Amir. Um, so I provide direct counseling and therapy to the families um, who have been affected by um, gun violence or uh, tragic loss. So I, I do the counseling there. And then I also um, connect with other folks at the agency that provide other services. But for me, the, the counseling to help them heal is what I primarily do. Rashid, did you have a question? Yeah. Can I um just ask? Cause, so I think I said this last week, or I said it a week prior to another person um, who was on and I think the question, 
the thing that I posed was that like gun violence, right, is not just an interpersonal situation. Like it is in the act, but it affects everybody else, right? And so I think that a lot of people don't actually focus in on that connection between gun violence and mental health and wellness. Mm -hmm. So can you just talk about that impact and how it is, right? How it's not just a two person thing and how so many other people are impacted by that and what those effects could potentially be? Yes, great question. Um, and I did hear some of the, the previous folks talking about it. I mean, and, and, and I want to say too, it's a conversation that needs to be continued regularly, immediately. Um, but so, um, so I think about in terms of statistics, how just the numbers of, of shootings daily is so high and just watching the news or your newsfeed on your phone or, or any social media outlet, and you're just inundated with the stories of violence, even if you're not from the community. I, I want to say, folks used to say, well, that doesn't happen in my neighborhood. It's happening everywhere. Mm. And it's got to be, it's affecting everyone, whether you're conscious of it or not. It's, it's going to affect you um, just from hearing it. Or, or I feel like there's so many people that are touched by um, some of the murders, either it's someone they know or someone they went to school with or their grandson used to play with the person, right? We're all connected. And, and I feel like people for the most part have become more sympathetic and empathetic, right? To what's going on. So it, it, it really affects everyone, even if they're not fully conscious of it. Thank you. Sonia, just just the act of listening, how how can that be healing? Um a lot of people don't feel like they're being heard. Period. Mm-hmm. Right? Just to be heard. Um, you can talk to friends and family. Um, here comes my plug for therapy, by the way. You can talk to friends and family, they can help, but sometimes they don't, they might hear you, but they may not listen or understand because they're too close, right? So sometimes it's important to have that neutral person who's not going to judge, who's just going to listen and help you through whatever you're working on. But listening is key. Mm -hmm. What do you tell, yeah, I'm sorry, Rashid. What do you tell people though that are hesitant about starting therapy? Even, even from listening to that, I understand how it could work. But what if I'm nervous? I've never been to a therapist. Um, what do I tell people? Um, well, again, a lot of people have been reaching out over the last year and a half. COVID, um, the social injustice, violence, just sitting home thinking. So I want to say people are more, have been more interested in reaching out. Right? And, and often I'll hear, I never thought I would do this, or this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. So I commend them for that. But it, um, repeat your question again. Sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. I'm, I was just thinking about there's there's a fair amount of people that I think might might be interested in therapy, but they're nervous about it right. and they're hesitant. So 
Google is a wonderful thing sometimes. Go on Google. I mean, what do, what happens when you go to therapy? How can I find a counselor? How can I find an Asian counselor? How can I find an African-American counselor? Right, just look it up or talk to someone that you know has had the experience maybe. Um, but again, I want to commend a lot of celebrities are talking out more about counseling and therapy and how it's helped them. Um, there's been a little more platforms, but the first thing is just to take a deep breath and do a search. Yeah. With questions as simple as that. I like those questions actually. What are, what are some other simple things that people can do for their mental health on a regular basis? That's a good question. Um, and a lot of people think that it's not simple, right? I need to have some kind of technique or something. But um, I tell folks, whatever makes you feel good, like if you're feeling down, um, if you're, like I said, I was a, I'm a TV person, movies, music, right? Music, your favorite song from back in the day or uh, something that relaxes you. There's apps out now. There's a lot of apps. There's the Calm app. There's Insight Timer. Um, um, reading a good book, talking about books. Um, so, because sometimes it's the simple things that quiet the mind and help you focus or refocus um, on things you have to do, or perhaps sometimes getting some things off of your mind. Mm. Meditation, yoga. Last week, I know Iris Bowen was talking about mindfulness and there was an exercise, right? Those are things that you can do for yourself. Um, breathing. We, we take for granted that we breathe every day, but there's a certain way to breathe that can relax you and calm and center you. Hmm. If you uh, if you could picture an ideal world where our mental health was being taken care of, what are those what what are those solutions that you see that 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 you could see in our neighborhood? Hmm. That's a great question too. Um, the first thing that came to my mind is communication. Hmm. Communication leads to understanding, leads to healing, helps folks be more empathetic. Um, Yeah, I think communication is key. Sonia, I want to thank you so much for being, being here with us today. Is there anything else you want to express for our neighborhood in terms of mental health and, and, and emotional health? I think I want to piggyback on what I was saying about the importance of communicating and listening um, and understanding the neighborhood's going through a lot of changes. Um, a lot of new folks are moving in. A lot of folks are leaving. A lot of folks are passing on um, for whatever reason. Um, so just, uh, I would say communication and understanding. 
and mutual respect. Such a good point. Thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. we're talking about mental health, it's important to highlight those places and spaces that make people feel safe. Our next guest is the owner of the unique barbershop affirming queer and trans people located here in Germantown, Odabu. They are Billy Green. Billy, welcome to the Info Hub Hour. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Good weather. Good weather. Um, can't complain at all. We are happy to have you here on the Info Hub today. It's your first time. I'm super excited to be here. <laughs> so can I ask, when did you get to Philadelphia? Uh, so I've been in Philadelphia for almost 11 years now. Oh, cool. Love that. Um, do you like it here? I do. I love it. Um, <laughs> I first moved here to study sculpture and um, just wanted to kind of live in a city. Uh, grew up in you know, a small rural town and wanted to just feel more connected with uh, like-minded individuals and uh, just wanted to kind of be in a place like Philly where you can kind of be whoever you want to be here. Sculpture. That's really interesting. I, um, Tell me more about that a little bit. Why sculpture? Yeah. So um, I first uh, was kind of undeclared art major. I kind of always had a passion for art and design and creating things with my hands um and started off as a photo major um and then realized i wanted to kind of take the shift from 2d uh to 3d and kind of combined photographing and sculpture and understanding form and shape and texture and um how that plays out into a space Hmm. And how did you get into um, barbering and hairstyling? Uh, so after uh, school, I um, actually was working mostly as a farmer, um, working lots of like hot summer days and 
realizing I need a haircut after long summer days of working on a farm. So I got a pair of clippers uh, and just started cutting my own hair. And at the time I was uh, living with a bunch of other artists, queer artists, and other people in the building were watching me cut my hair on the rooftop. And they were like, hey, can you give me a haircut? And um, kind of was like, sure. And so I kind of started off practicing on friends and predominantly uh, queer folks who kind of began voicing um, the fact that, you know, they felt super uncomfortable being in very heteronormative uh, salons and barbershops. And that's when it kind of really clicked with me that it was a way to um, connect with the queer community and, and provide us provide a service that just is not accessible in a very binary industry of hair. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You said that you used to cut it on the on a rooftop. That sounds like something out of a movie, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> but were you, how did, when you first did it, how did you like it? How did you like your work when you first started? Were you critical? Like, were you more critical of your work now? I'm or still critical. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, very much a perfectionist. Um, always, you know, think that I can do better, but learning to try to understand that, you know, nothing is ever done you know it just gets to a point where we feel resolved and comfortable and affirmed with the work that we've done so um yeah so I, in the beginning um definitely want to say thank you to all my friends who <laughs> allowed me to practice on their hair um when first starting <laughs> um and then got into volunteering at the attic youth center which is an lgbtq plus after school center uh, here in Philadelphia, and um, started a, a queer barbershop, uh, kind of like LGBTQ plus dialogue space, where, um, and that's where I kind of really learned to build up a sense of like doing designs and getting better with timing, and while also kind of like hearing the uh, stories from the youth and their experience. Um, having trouble finding a space to receive haircuts in which felt affirming to them. Mm-hmm. And so um, your barbershop, your space, Odabu is actually fairly new to the neighborhood. So just tell our listeners what Odabu is and, you know. Yeah. So um, Odabu is, uh, is a space where um, we provide haircuts outside. Um, so during the pandemic, um, kind of created a major shift in our understanding of spaces and uh, started off actually in the kind of center city Chinatown area. And I had a commercial space there and kind of once the pandemic hit, realized that, you know, I had to stop cutting hair for a while and rent was becoming hard to pay. So um, you're not really sure how to navigate having just renovated this space and wanting to still stay connected with my guests. So I decided to set up shop in a garden location um, and yeah, relocated to Germantown. We're now in the Germantown neighborhood um, and just wanting to kind of create a space that felt safe during the pandemic, but also kind of safe for the queer community in the sense that, you know, it's a very private, intimate experience in which, you know, they don't um, have to be concerned with other people in the space and their safety in regards to other people being here 
um, and just knowing that um, they're surrounded by by trees and by plants and flowers and herbs and just trying to create a very welcoming um, oasis uh, that oh. is outside and yeah. I love that word, oasis. Yeah. I feel like that that actually really accurately describes the space that you set up, being somebody, of course, who visited the space. Um, and so what are your experiences with barbershops, right? So I'm a queer person. And so I've experienced the discomfort of like sitting in those hetero spaces for extended periods of time, right? And so I've heard the jargon, seen a lot of the actions, and I don't think that these are spoken about enough. And thankfully, my partner right now is my barber now, so I don't have to deal with it. But it's an experience that I think that we both can resonate with. So could you talk about it a little bit? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess I've always had trouble figuring out where to go to get my haircut, which is why I kind of resorted to cutting my own hair. And I know that many other queer folks here in Philly have done the same over the past. And, you know, um kind of wanting to go into a salon to get a nice sheer cut or wanting to go into a barbershop to get a fresh fade, but feeling like frustration with barbers not being able to use shears in the way that stylists do and stylists not being able to use clippers in the way that barbers do. And, you know, a lot queer folk, they love their mullets. So <laughs> it tends to be a haircut in which, you know, you need precision um, in both shears and clippers and being able to kind of like not have to go to two different spaces in which, you know, you have to pay for both of those, but also having to kind of put yourself in uncomfortable situations in both of those spaces. Um, so wanting to kind of create a space in which people didn't have to kind of like switch who they are to, for their own safety, um, just to receive a service, um, but rather create a space in which they can, you know, maximize their best self um while in the chair mm -hmm. and i know you, that you talked about it right so we talked about this a few weeks ago and you just said it and you were talking about how your space is like very intimate and vulnerable right as a barber setting so can you just kind of go into that and talk about why that is important um when people are sitting down in spaces like that because i don't think that that's something that a lot of people touch on or that a lot of people actually pay close attention to as to how intimate an engagement between a barber or somebody going into a barbershop or to get their hair done is. Of course. Yeah. So, um, sometimes it's much more than just hair for people. I think it's really about sharing and building a relationship. Um, not only between myself and the guests, but also a relationship with themselves and wanting to express what allows them to feel affirmed in who they are and how they want to represent themselves. Um, and I think, you know, so, some of these, not to generalize, but some of these very like cis heteronormative hair spaces tend to be very uh, binary. And so kind of like the verbiage and the language isn't really used in those kind of spaces. And so, you know, not having to, not having to explain themselves, you know, but rather that coming as, um, coming as they are, but also wanting to leave feeling the best version of themselves without, uh, without having to be talked out of it or without having to prove themselves, but rather just allow the platform for the verbiage and the language to be used that isn't necessarily even about like 
gender or about you know expectations of gender but rather a space in which we can discuss tools used time spent shape texture form length um all these things can be discussed you know without having to add gender to it and without um you know putting my expectations of what i want for the guests but rather a platform for them to express what they'd like to do with the time together um to to feel affirmed in their presentation and correct me if I'm wrong, but you said the the children. I'm not the children, but the youth. Let me be let me be specific and say the youth that you work with um, have sort of played some part of like inspiration in this. Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I also was an educator, uh, an art educator um, at the elementary school level, um, and so working in um, Philly public schools, you know, most of the kids wear uniforms and so hair really is everything um to youth uh yeah <laughs> and it really allows them like you know the maximum amount of creativity and representation and it, it kind of feeling accepted you know in their within their friend groups and their peers and so feeling fresh and feeling good about themselves with their hair allows them to have uh the ability to build more confidence um and so that was really inspiring to me and uh especially when i started working in the attic youth center and kind of understanding that you know some of the kids parents didn't even um want to allow them to present themselves in the way that they did or wouldn't want to take them to a salon when they wanted them to go to a barber shop or vice versa and, and so just creating that opportunity for allow them to take the steering wheel um, and call the shots for how they want to present themselves. Mm -hmm. Very autonomous, right? Yeah. Hmm. And so another thing that your space harbors is a garden with the different herbs, right? And so tell your neighbors, tell our neighbors, right, about the significance of the garden and how you use those. Yeah, so um, our goal for the space here was to create kind of a winding kind of circular space in which is conducive for gathering and conversation and kind of creating a, a critical dialogue space that is then surrounded by um a selection of plants that are native to this region that we can um utilize for for herbal infusions and uh, I also make a product line, um, a plant-based product line in which I use um, plants from local farmers and plants that are in my garden space as well. So that way I can kind of show guests, you know, the products that are, when people ask me, you know, what is that plant there? I kind of let them know. I'm like, oh, well, that's actually in our, you know, um, shampoo or conditioner that I make and kind of gaining that relationship with understanding where ingredients come from, what they look like and being able to kind of like um show the process of like uh how it translates from the plant material to the final product in a bottle or container and um trying to focus on a collection of plants that are also very gender neutral too and trying to take um 
gender out of just everyday product usage, whether that's like oils or clays or soaps or um, balms, things like that, and, and realizing that those things don't even have to be gendered. Um, when we can just talk more about the ingredients and the plants used and creating a product line that's for everyone um, with a focus on plants that grow here and are from here and just wanting to represent that um, in this space. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that I, I have noticed about you is you seem very invested in community. Um, when I speak to you and when I hear everything about the space and how intentional you are, it just makes me think, yeah, that you're very intentional in how you approach these things and that you're very community focused. Um, tell me about your interest in community care and support. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think within the queer community, community is everything, you know, um, a lot of queer folks don't have a lot of support. And so I think we we search for that, you know, within our friends, within our neighbors and and trying to build, you know, a collective of people who are like minded and are interested in similar things and having that support um, because specifically in the queer community, I mean, a lot of us, you know, we only have each other. And so the more we can uplift and support each other and and be there for one another, um, just the more enjoyable it is to exist in a space, in a neighborhood, and in a community. And yeah, I don't think Odabu would be what it is without the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you think that your space in Germantown is different from the previous location? Um, so I think being in Center City was kind of a priority for a lot of people pre-pandemic. Um, but I think that there was a major shift uh, after COVID, um, considering that a lot of folks work from home now. A lot of folks don't commute to Center City anymore. Um, wanting to be in the hub, the cent- central most heart of the city, I think there's kind of the shift in a focus of wanting to be more engaged with your neighborhood and home and kind of, I've been realizing that a lot of folks are kind of wanting to branch out to almost the outskirts of the city because it's, I think, a little easier to be immersed in your community rather than living within a vacuum um, of different kind of portals within Center City, kind of actually getting a better understanding of where you are and um, what it means to kind of participate in that space or neighborhood. And we spoke about this a little bit as well. Um, but would you be would you mind sharing why you feel it's important that these spaces shouldn't just exist in places like Center City, right? So we know that Center City has the neighborhood, and then again, West Philly is a very um, central hub for also some queer spaces. Why is it important to like expand those beyond just those areas, right? Yeah, um, I think that you know there are queer people everywhere, and as you know, as much as I love kind of being in spaces where there are, you know, a lot of queer folks living or, or spaces in which are more high volume, I think it's also important to reach out to spaces to begin normalizing these conversations in regards um, to the queer community and kind of providing spaces 
for neighborhoods that might not have that and to kind of show that queer people exist everywhere and we don't all have to exist in a vacuum or we don't all have to be in the same neighborhood but we can kind of travel and 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 support each other in different places um without being at the most central hub of where that energy lies Mm -hmm. and it's like the more expansion right it's like the more normalized so it's like we don't want to keep having pocketed safe spaces right like we want to make sure that everywhere is a safe space um and so what's next for billy green in the double space oh gosh um (laughs) (laughs) this is like an e-news special (laughs) always on to something new um i think my biggest thing is sometimes i have to realize that it's not so much what i that i don't know what i want to do but it's what i have to give up in order to do what i'm interested in so um I think sometimes my interests lie in various places, but also are all kind of, there's a common thread between everything. Um, I think my goal, um, you know, I've really been just taking, especially since the beginning of the pandemic, kind of one day at a time, one week at a time, you know, not trying to overload myself with too much, you know, still making time for, for myself and, and my mental health and my well being. So that way I'm able to provide, um, you know, uh, that space for other people. Um, so I think, gosh, what is next? I don't know. I think just kind of the more community involvement, um, is, is something I'm, I'm interested in and kind of, um, yeah, gosh, I don't know. (laughs) No, I get it. I hear it. I mean, you made points, right? I mean, I think that's a great takeaway is the idea that sometimes we have to pour into ourselves before we can pour into others. And if, you know, making sure that you're up to par to help care and support the rest of the community, that's 100% the next step, you know? It doesn't ever have to really be something, like, it doesn't have to be something giving to others or providing services for others, right? I think that that's something that's beautiful and that some people actually don't rest on enough. Um, So I accept that. I mean, if others don't accept it, then I mean, <laughs> who knows? Um, but I guess, Billy, just, you know, as a last just comment, sentiment, just let people know how they can furthermore support you. Yeah. So um, my website is odabu.com, O-D-A-B-U. Uh, my Instagram is at odabu underscore. Um, so those are two kind of platforms in which I use. Um, and Yeah, so I have an online booking portal in which um, folks can book an appointment uh, right from their phone um, and see kind of a calendar to be able to, uh, you know, come to the space either to have a uh, private kind of shopping experience or a haircut experience. Um, There is an option for like a classic cut as well as design work. So the classic cut is more of just like a fade or a sheer cut, whereas the design work is like a haircut and uh, straight razor designs. Um, I also have all of my products on my website as well. And I do $5 flat rate shipping all around the country and everything is packaged in, uh, recycled packaging. Um, and yeah, I can ship everything around the country for $5. Um, sorry, that's my dog saying goodbye too. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and, uh, uh, yeah, I also pop up at, 
uh, in different neighborhoods every weekend. So I am traveling the market as well in order to um, get the word out there about the space as well as provide um, on-site product sales um, in different neighborhoods every Saturday. Good. Well, as a person who visited the space, I can vouch that it is as affirming as it is peaceful. And so we wish you and Adabu the best in your future endeavors. And we hope that we'll have you back soon in some capacity just to speak more. And so, Billy, I just want to thank you again for being here today. And we will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. Thank you again. Have a good day. Well, Germantown, it is about that time. If you have a story you want to hear covered, please contact us at gtown.infohub at gmail.com or text infohub to 73224 to start asking us some questions. And we also encourage our neighbors to follow us on Facebook at Germantown Infohub, Instagram at gtown underscore infohub, and Twitter at Germantown Hub. And that is our show. Again, I am Rashid Ajamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom Join. And I'm Maleka Fruin. This has been the InfoHub Radio Hour. Thank you to our guests for joining us today. And thank you to our neighbors for listening and engaging as always. And until next week, good night, Germantown. <laughs>